you are now entering the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus 7 Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. Today is a bit more of a casual episode, but it is still chock full of interesting perspectives from some game designers who have taken their passion and skills from making games to work for them in their startup ventures. I had a great time talking to my guests, and I'm sure that you will find at least one interesting takeaway from their experiences, whether it is talking about mistakes in creating educational games or how you can use video games as inspiration for your real-life challenges. One note, since this interview was recorded, uh, their startup had a little bit of a change. It was formerly called Signal FM, and so that's how you'll hear it referred to throughout the interview. But since then, it's gone under a name change, so now it is called Greta. I think you can still find everything that we talk about using the terms and links we talked about in the episode but you will definitely get all the current information in the show notes. With that out of the way, let's get into it. All right, I am here with Kim Hansen and Kelly Wright from Signal FM, and they are the founders of Signal FM, which is a voice-to-text startup, and both are also video game industry veterans. Kim is the CEO of Signal FM. She has also had a variety of roles in the video game industry, Everything from user experience to game design and running her own studio, as well as gamification design. And Kelly Wright is the other co-founder, is a front-end engineer, and he is a co-host of the Good Enough to Air podcast, a show about canceled TV shows. Uh, He has also been a game programmer, uh, including on some educational games. And they both have worked on the Mass Effect series, which I am anxious to talk about. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. What made you guys want to work in games? And uh, what was your first entry point into working in the games industry? My alternative was computational linguistics, so it was kind of an easy <laughs> choice. <laughs> uh, no no joke, uh, a friend of mine uh, called me up one day and he was like, hey, they're hiring $12 an hour term testers over at Bioware. Do you want to apply? Okay. <laughs> Then I stopped doing my master's and started doing Mass Effect. Oh, wow. Well, you actually dropped out of school and started doing Mass Effect? Yeah. Oh, cool. I am young enough that I was inspired by Ocarina of Time when it came out a million (laughs) seconds ago. 1996. 1990, was it? Yeah. So I was like four when Ocarina of Time came out. Damn. Um, And ever since then, I knew I wanted to go into games. So I started taking programming and animation in high school. And then I actually went to a game design class in Vancouver, uh, which was like a one-year intensive program, and then immediately went into EA after that. Nice. Yeah. We didn't have programming classes when I went to school. We had typing classes. They were different. (laughs) Not chiseling into rock walls. Yeah. I've noticed a theme that you guys uh, like to play off on how, on the age difference between uh, the two founders there. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of becoming a, a... branding device at our company i guess it's it's nice because i don't have to go seek out the young ones they're just here all the time just being here but yeah you know we have the lingo i know memes and stuff yeah we have um (laughs) we're on fleek as the kids are calling them yeah (laughs) 
I don't even have the slightest idea what that means. Um. No kidding. <laughs> it's fine. We're I don't, think, I don't cool. think it adds much to your life yeah. to not know. Hey, I've gone this far without knowing what it means, so I think I think I'm all right. I think I'll live until the the fad passes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the Mass Effect series is is a game that has kind of a special place in my heart, and it's definitely meant a lot to a lot of different people. What kind of roles did you guys have in the Mass Effect series, and kind of what was your experience working on it? So I started out. 2006, like I said, as a term tester, um, and I finished out that project running the QA department on Mass Effect 1, um, and that was a ride and a half, so that I guess I would have been on the project for the tail eight months or six months, possibly, and um, it was 18-hour days every day. Uh, when I first joined the project, it was, it was pretty tough to play through the game, um, and uh, I actually started out doing the build which is to say that uh, you you build the game and then you play it and see what what things are too broken for everyone else to use the game. Mm-hmm. And then you go find uh, how to fix those things. And then it, it's super boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was it was really amazing to see the game go from sort of the, the Unreal 2.5 Thing that it was when I joined to the to the Mass Effect one that we all know and love, hmm. yeah. And then I continue on continue on that same role uh, for Mass Effect two. How about you, Kelly? Um, well, I played a lot of Mass Effect one, and I played a lot of Mass Effect two. It wasn't until uh, they started development on three that I actually got a part of the series. Um, I was actually a QA tester, like two desks away from the Mass Effect team at EA. And uh, when I finished my my terms on FIFA, uh, they were looking for extra level testers who also had some technical background because uh, a lot of the testing was um, going into Unreal and making sure that nothing was borked from that end. Um, so I did about three or four months. It says on my LinkedIn, but it's been <laughs> so long, I don't even remember. Um, but yeah, I worked on there. Uh, doing primarily level testing and when they released it they also needed some multiplayer testers so um i did support on that until i got integrated into one of ea's actual like core teams there so it was a short stint but a really enjoyable one considering how much really... of, how much of a fan of the mass effect series i was yeah you guys did a really good job on the multiplayer i never got to play it until afterwards and it was like very satisfying yeah it was actually a good multiplayer put into a game that wasn't multiplayer for several iterations as opposed to most times that it happens. Yeah, that was that was my primary multiplayer game for probably months. I had tons of fun with that game, especially cuz I love I love co-op a lot more than I like PVP stuff, so I loved, you know, being able to team up with people and friends I knew and no hard feelings or anything. You just blast aliens and have a great time. <laughs> Yeah, that was always the big draw for me, too, because, like, I suck at PvP, so <laughs> having a game where you're actually actively working together to solve a common goal was a huge sell for me. Yeah, and actually, speaking of um, influences, I remember playing a lot of Army of Two as we were shipping Mass Effect 2. Oh, God. With <laughs> I mean, at the time, there wasn't really a lot of co-op multiplayer, right? It was just Army of Two and 
Kanan Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, God. I busted the hell out of Kanan Lynch uh, on the demo floor at PAX accidentally. <laughs> they, they, had the, they added on the giant projector, and they were doing the demo, and they're like, come on, someone from the audience. Okay. <laughs> Freeze, crash. Um, but yeah, yeah. so like Army of Two, probably pretty influential on the development of Mass 3 multiplayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's I can I do you mind if I go on a little tangent of Mass Effect real quick? Sure. Because um, all the all the talk of co-op, it reminded me of this really fun bug that I found where uh, there's a planet where you have to attack the big bad organization that I am now blanking on. Cerberus. You go to attack Cerberus, and I found out that there was a bug that you could actually land on the planet without choosing any squad mates, which is like the big sell of the game. Like you literally can't play the game without squad mates, but I was playing an infiltrator. So I remember doing like this entire hour and a half long mission completely stealth as infiltrator. And it made the game feel like completely different because it's not about like assigning squad points and stuff (laughs) like that. It was just stealth around and headshot things and then stealth some more. It was pretty good. I'm surprised that worked at all. Yeah. And the game actually functions really well if you're alone and stealthy. Hmm. It was pretty cool. That's cool. Kim, you also worked on a game that I recently discovered called Eon Alter, which for the listeners, Eon Alter, they call it a digital tabletop role-playing experience where you control your characters through your smartphone. So your smartphone is your controller. It syncs with your PC, and then you can play this turn-based role-playing game. I recently discovered it, and that's been really a great find for me recently. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your experience working on Eon Alter? Uh, yeah, so that was me and Ed Douglas, who's another Bioware alumnus. Um, he also made games like Need for Speed, and uh, he was working on Ed, Ed, and Eddie back in the day, the, the cartoon in the 90s. Oh, uh, yeah. Really? Did they have a yeah. game for that? I No, the, the, the actual show. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what had happened is their, their first two UX designers, one had thrown a disc and the other one uh i think her her cornea detached from her eye and so it was like a month and a half from the pax demo and and still most of the ux didn't really exist and so we i guess maybe sorry two and a half months and so we went into this crazy dev cycle um which is exacerbated by the fact that so you were just mentioning right you have your experience on your on your phone and you have your experience on the main screen right Mm -hmm. And the fig- figuring out how to how to build that UX was actually really challenging and weird, because ninety five percent of the time you're looking at the main screen, but the other five percent of the time you need to be looking at your phone. And hey, by the way, we need to um, you know cause you to look at your phone every once in a while, and we have to make sure that the connection, the visual connection, and the sort of tactile connection between the phone and the main screen works really well mm-hmm. we were pulling all sorts of crazy stuff like when, when we wanted to get your attention on the phone we'd make it sort of epileptic flash <laughs> sort of and um we did this cool thing where you could actually roll dice on the phone. i don't know if it's still in there yet. um you, you could roll the dice on the phone and the dice would appear on the main screen hmm. and it was the super cool it's just sort of tactile thing very very interesting experience another another very late nights project yeah it certainly sounds like it sounds like that position was cursed <laughs> glad you made it out all right 
Yes, and literally I am looking at a text message from Ed Douglas right now. He says, when will you not be so busy? <laughs> Never. <Thanks Ed. laughs> I'll let you know. So Kelly, I saw that you have worked on educational games. What was that like? And was that different than working on more traditional games? A little bit. So um, I used to work for a company called Victory Square Games that I think is now called V2G or something. Um, and we were doing uh, two games, one called Boxmoles ABC and one called Boxmoles 123, which Aww. if you judging from the name is based on uh, teaching kids their ABCs and one, two, threes. Mm -hmm. um, and making an educational game wasn't exactly the different aspect, like the, the harder part about it. It was making a game for children because mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, implied design that you can get away with with uh, experienced gamers where it's like, this is clearly the close button or this is clearly the progress button or something like that. Um, and so you have to kind of throw away all of your concepts of, of how gamers interact with things and instead focus on like making it very, very simple. Um, so it's a, it's difficult to do that and also make a game fun mm -hmm. and engaging and also educational. So there's a huge balance of like, okay, we need to teach them what an A is and how to apply that to to proper procedure in words. And a? it's like, A, you know, the Canadian right. period. <laughs> yeah. A. And so there was a lot of testing where it was like, is the, are we teaching them in the proper way? And are they, go are they going to be able to get to B? For the longest time, the game wasn't fun at all. It was just like, here's an A, advance. Here's a B, advance. Here's a C, advance. We were leaning more towards educational, but less away from game. It was more of a flip book of what letters are. Well, that's always the problem when you're trying to make these purpose-driven games. I, I made a romance game a couple of years ago. The company was Silicon Sisters and, you know, games for women sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what people will always do is, is they'll go, what do women like? How can we create a woman game? And the answer is that you make a good game. And then you make sure that it's not too offensive to women. Yeah. I mean, you can offend kids. Kids are dumb. Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> no, just... like for a kid's game too, it had make a good game, then make sure that kids like it. Yeah. Uh, it's not, you can't do it the other way around because mostly because most people that are developing the, these games are not kids or not women or both. Yeah. You just don't have that headspace. Right? <clears throat> it's actually funny that you say that because then the next game that we did, so we took we were actually working for uh, CMF, which is the Canadian Media Fund. We're Canadian, by the way, if you can tell. <laughs> yeah. A. A. And uh, they fund companies that are doing educational games or art games that advance the arts or things that aren't games that advance the arts. I don't know. I've, ever, I've no, projects, only ever worked with naked CMF. Naked people dancing around, that kind of thing. Yeah. I've only ever worked with CMF for games, so it's usually towards like working uh, in education or advancement. And we actually got a bunch of money to make a aboriginal game seriously yeah and it also had to be educational so it was to teach the kids about um first nations culture yeah and our designer at the time was inspired by mist which is not a great game to be inspired by for a kid's game so we went for like four months developing this like relatively complex adventure game for kids and we got pretty deep into it like that thing was 
Like you could advance through a plot in a fully arted out forest world. And we got feedback from playtesters that said that this game was way too hard. They didn't like for kids, didn't learn anything. It was only like loosely First Nations. There was like totem poles and stuff like that. Um, oh my God. That, so I was, excuse me, that sounds really bad. Yeah, it was, it was not great. So we were getting, I was actually getting close to the end of my contract and I ended up moving on to another company, another two blocks around. I don't move around a lot when I get new jobs. <laughs> and uh, I, from what I heard, they like completely revamped it. Like it's now minigame based and a lot less fun for me, but more fun for kids and easy to use and actually turned out really well and isn't a epic four long four hour long adventure game designed for four year olds, three or four year olds. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people in my generation have plenty of horror stories of educational quote unquote games that definitely sounded great to parents, but uh, the kids saw right through it. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying you don't like number crunchers? <laughs> Come on, Jess. Um, I'm pretty sure I did enjoy number crunchers a little yeah. bit. Oregon Trail? I played Oregon Trail 2 a lot. Yeah. They also had Amazon Trail, Math Blasters. Oh, yes. Wow, yeah. Math Blasters is the one I was going to bring up. There was an old Frogger game. Weirdly, that was educational. There was also a uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not game that I don't think I learned anything useful, but it was very fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, so there are like, there's a balance between that sort of thing because those those games kind of tricked you into learning mm -hmm. um by playing a fun game and then yeah. you're like wait a minute i know what four times three is now on uh, on mass effect my my roommate was also one of my co-workers hmm. brian mills shout out shout out to brian mills um and you know we worked really closely together and then we came home together and then we went to work together and then we came home together so one day i came home he had taken the day off or something and i could just hear him giggling from his room and he had been playing a, a campaign of Oregon Trail and he'd named all of the settlers after me, mm -hmm. Yarel Kim. And so every <laughs> single time one of them would die, it'd be like, Kim is dead of dysentery, whatever it is. And I was a little hurt. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't even remember being able to name my people. Brian is a bit of a nerd. I think he had, he had emulated it, and possibly there was some skullduggery going on. Uh, no, you could name them. I remember naming them after my family and giggling every time they died. No, <laughs> it's like my mom has just fallen in the river. Oh, sad now. <laughs> well, I'm kind of sad I didn't uh, discover that at the time. Yeah, really, it, it preps you for life in so many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, and Oregon Trail famously was very popular and was educational, but most people, you know, just learned how difficult it was to cross a river and how you need to be very wary of dysentery. Do you think that kids in Oregon were just like, I don't want to play this, and then just went outside? Yeah, <laughs> shot 500 pounds of buffalo. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's talk about Signal FM. Tell me what it is and uh, what you're creating. All right, so a couple years ago, we, uh, being the podcast lovers that we are, noticed that the podcast ecosystem has not really changed very much in the last 10 years. And especially for 
podcasts like this one, it can be pretty hard to get your message out because it's really difficult to share podcasts. So right now, you know, I listen to a podcast and there's a someone says something cool and I want to share it with Kelly because I know Kelly will love it. <laughs> and uh, in our current ecosystem, what I do is I send Kelly an hour-long MP3 and tell him to scroll to a time point. And Kelly says, I'm not going to do that because... I've got better things to do right now, and this is too hard. No one would do that. (laughs) Um, And and so it basically just doesn't get shared. So what we realized is that once you transcribe spoken word um, and time it exactly to as it's playing, what you can actually do is you can follow along as as the words are playing, and you can select those words. Um, and with SignalFM, what we'll do is we'll allow you to produce a little video um, with the, the text and the, the audio, and you share that out. And so when Kelly receives my my quote that I'm so eager to send him, he, he sees it on Twitter. Oh, man, yeah, they're talking about games. I love games. Click. And suddenly, you're in a place where audio is now shareable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and that's the core of the experience that we're building. Um, we've we've been uh, we've partnered up with a couple of decently big podcasts. Um, the .NET Rock Show with Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin. They're a couple of the earliest podcasters ever, and they're still going strong with more than fifteen hundred shows, I think, at this point. And Scott Hanselman, who's sort of of the same era, um, and a lot of people know and love his Hanselman It's podcast. Um, and what we're doing is we're working with those guys and just just buffing up our our experience and adding a little gamification in there because you know we like that and uh, it's it's been a it's been an interesting ride so far. Yeah, it's been a lot of work for the last. I think we've been going for just over a year now. Just over a year, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's really exciting because that's definitely one thing I've noticed about podcasts is they really haven't changed from the technical perspective for a very long time and you know a lot of other you know mediums have cropped up based on social media and you know shareability is now basically the catchphrase of anyone in media nowadays so that's really exciting for me especially starting a podcast to see some innovation and can you go a little bit into into the audio transcription process so this is this is a voice to text, so it's similar to, you know, how my phone can understand what I say and turn it into a text message, right? Yeah, basically. Like that's the that's the small version of it. I don't want to get too deep into it because it is our like secret sauce, basically. <laughs> um, but the idea is that there's a bunch of different um, platforms out there that do speech to text just for like um, research purposes or educational purposes or government meetings um and a lot of them cater to different different sort of medias uh and so what we've been doing is we've been sort of working on our own version of it researching those ones to make something that caters specifically to podcasts and like you said google google is one of those but they've been primarily working on how to google things so you (laughs) like if you say like okay google what's chess hall's birthday and then it's like chess hall birthday here you go but it's like 10 seconds of audio and we're dealing with things that are like upwards of like two hours or three hours if it's a long rambling podcast of audio and uh, a lot of the difficulty comes in how do you process that 
amount of audio with a high fide- high enough fidelity that sharing is still possible. Right. And yeah, it's definitely an interesting problem because you have everything from people with accents and there's turns of phrase and punctuation. Yeah. All sorts Incidentally, of things. Uh, most of the research is coming out of MIT for speech to text, um, which is in Boston. Yeah. Why are you shaking your head at me? <laughs> it is. Uh, so I found something out really interesting. Um, there's there's almost like a, a range outside of Boston that the speech to text is good at. So if you have a Bostonian accent, if you are, uh, what's your favorite actor's name? Martin Sheen. If you're Martin Sheen, you can get a really high fidelity of transcription. But the further away you go from Boston, uh, like if you're British, it'll have harder and harder times figuring out what the what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, your results may vary, like Google's out of California and Seattle, right? But yeah, there's a, it does, there does seem to be a preponderance of research being done out of uh, Massachusetts. Mm. So all the algorithms and software was trained on the, the Boston natives that created it. Well, it's hard to say for sure, but I can tell you that running an episode of uh, West Wing or a little part of it is really accurate. Yeah, hmm. we're still we're still learning this, but I like to make um, brash decisions right away. So I'm going to say that yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, for some reason it doesn't it doesn't understand me. I don't know if I have like a polar opposite to Boston accent, but I have to work on it to understand me. I have to increase my diction for it to get all the words that I say. Otherwise, it thinks I'm not speaking. <laughs> I have the same problem. I actually had to modulate my voice in order for it to understand me. Um, hmm. Then my voice cracks in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Just, just, you're just changing. Your voice is changing. Yeah. <laughs> hair where, where there was no hair before, that kind of thing. <laughs> God. But it is pretty interesting. It's almost like uh, one piece at a time. Like we find, we find something that doesn't work. We fix it. It increases the fidelity of it. It's a, it's a long, long process of experimentation. Yeah, so that kind of leads into what I want to talk about next was I first discovered Signal FM because I saw Robot Round Robin. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> can uh, can one of you explain what that is? Uh, I can. So I um, basically what we've been talking about for the last half hour, we both came from games. So I wanted to run an experiment that sort of flexed our game design chops to get the engagement of the listeners um, because we've got a lot of information that we want to learn from people this experiment was specifically to learn which of our robots people preferred um robots in this case being our different speech to text recipes so we're calling them yeah but we branded them to look like cute little robots so people got attached to them Hmm. the idea wasn't to find out which ones were perfect because that's something that we can we can figure out ourselves. we run algorithms and it's yeah, this word was perfect, this word was perfect. We wanted to learn, rather, which of these robots and different variations the majority of the listeners preferred. So, like, if they liked liked it more when they picked up swearing or they liked it when there was more words or, or something like that. So the idea was to build this really quick game that was people were just presented with three different variations of the same five-second chunk. They picked which one they liked the most, and they were given almost like a... Do you play any of the Telltale games, like Walking Dead or anything like that? I'm a little bit familiar, yes. Okay, so those games are almost entirely based around player choice. Like, do you let this person live or this person live? Do you 
And they'll throw that on a timer, so you have to, there's actually some urgency to your decision. Yeah, so you get like a really pure decision out of people. And then at the end of the game, they actually match, they tell you the choices of the community. So they'll say like 75% of the community let this person live, whereas 25% let this person die. And you get like a really good sense of camaraderie that way because you feel like you're part of the niche or you're part of the uh, majority. Um, So we wanted to like, keep people playing this game a for our own research purposes but also b to continue this like level of community engagement with people and also to fight over cute little robots that they prefer mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and i mean this is gamification applied to actual real business and science problems and th- some of the information that we got out of this game we we could never have gotten by Uh, writing an algorithm, for instance, because an algorithm can tell you whether um, something is technically right, but the beauty of human beings and and sort of a more social ecosystem is that they can tell you whether something feels good, and that's actually much more important. Like a Doberman's going to be a lot more physically uh, successful than a Corgi, but people are still going to choose Corgi because they're adorable. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, and that's great too, because I imagine, you know, you could you could have a system that is identical to the game that you've created, but if you strip away some of the light game aspects to it, then it just becomes a survey. Some small changes change it from being something that's really work, you know, just listening and selecting to a game. So I think that's that's really interesting that the game probably helps get, you know, get people to be more interested in the activity and since you are going for something that's you know somewhat intangible you know how something feels you know going with a game probably helps tap into that honesty and that you know openness yeah Yeah, exactly and gut feel gut feel yeah exactly and it's like what we were talking about with like the the kid games like you've got to trick them into learning something or in this case trick them into giving us information um because yeah like you said yes we don't actually want to trick people into giving us information well it's a design thing like tricking not their information our (laughs) own information like when somebody asks you does this dress make me look fat (laughs) you want to trick them into telling you it doesn't (laughs) Uh, well (laughs) um kelly's view is not necessarily the fees of signal fm (laughs) that's really great how you've taken you know your experience both with making games and playing games to create something that's going to give you helpful information for, you know, your business and innovating your product. What other ways have games influenced Signal FM or other areas of your life? In no way have they influenced my life. (laughs) I find that hard to believe. Uh, I mean, you'd be pretty hard pressed to name a major game that I hadn't played or at least heard of or played with friends or whatever in the last, say, 15 years. Um, gaming has had a huge influence on my life. Um, and I, I, I mean, we sort of joke about tricking people into doing things, but but really there's there's the approach of the, the traditional software designer where you say, well, I've provided the, the functionality. Surely that's good enough. <laughs> it's not. It's it's never good enough. Um, you, you are always in a conversation with your audience, and you need to understand your audience and, and give them a, an environment that feels good to be in. 
and that that is very much where games come in right um you you can look at conversations that you have and think of them as games when you're uh, at the negotiation table with investors or whatnot as we frequently are um that's a game you you're talking to someone you each have an objective uh, and you you have come in with your inventory and your weapons quote unquote ps i don't want to murder my investors um and you 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 play the game there's I, even a game show based around selling to investors there is it's terrible <laughs> never go on dragon's den it's or terrible but i can't stop watching it yeah. So I think that might be it's good. P.S. I actually kind of like Shark Tank and Chris Sack is cool. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those, um, those shows make me uncomfortable because they just remind me of all the bad job interviews I've had in the past. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's some cringe in there. It's kind of funny because like before before getting into this, um, this being starting Signal FM, I had watched Dragon's Den uh, in the past, and I was like, oh, this is just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that they're speaking, uh, valuation and and decks and tables and stuff like that. And then um, do, before going into Signal FM and like learning all of this stuff, I then years later watched it again, and I'm like, oh, these are actually just serious questions that they're asking them. And when I'm, whenever someone gets like flustered or something like that, it's not the people trying to like trip them up. It's just Hey, did you do the work into into your company, or or are we just investing in something dumb? Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting to have some insight into that and then see it in practice. For which, our Americans listeners, Dragons Den is the Canadian version of Shark Tank. Is it? Yeah. That explains why everyone's Canadian. Yes. <laughs> um, it's actually funny because that kind of that kind of affects every aspect of my life where. When I would play games before becoming a game developer, I would just be like, "Oh, it's just a dumb jump puzzle. Or it's just a, it's just a level. A level is a thing that exists in a game." Um, and now, having like knowing how to make a game, it's hard to look at a game and not see how it was made. How to like look under the the hood and be like, "Okay, this is Unreal. This is uh, clearly designed to teach me how to do this. This light over here is supposed to lead me over here." Like it's. It's hard to separate um, my knowledge of game development with playing a game at this point. Hmm. Kelly is, by the way, wearing a Pokemans hat. Yes, the the Pokemans. Yeah. It's Team Team Rocket hat, except it's like Gen 4 Team Rocket. James and Jarcy go. Yeah. He's still got Wobbuffet. Do you play Pokemon Go? I did for a while. I did for like a week, and then I realized it was a travesty, and I didn't care anymore. I thought it was amazing, <laughs> and it was it was a revolutionary change. If there was to no ev- game. It was a it was a revolutionary <laughs> way of looking at video games. Now, if you'd played the uh, what was the one that that they made that Niantic made before Pokemon Go? Oh, the the like spy one. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, Ingress. Less of a game. Ingress. Ingress. You just don't like Pokemon. I, I it's true. I hate Pokemon. No. I love Pokemon. Yeah. 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 Na- name one Pokemon from the latest generation. Pokemon. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm also addicted to Pokemon uh Sun and Moon now. Good. I just want to point out how funny it was that uh, the show 
is called Dragon's Den, and you're talking about thinking in terms of a game and you know equipping yourself with weapons. It's it's almost perfect. Dragon's Den is could definitely be the name of a, a role playing game. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And each each of the the companies are like a random encounter, and the the dragons are a party. Yeah. That's awesome. There's an ice dragon, a fire dragon. Now I'm gonna look through and try At, to see like, which of them's like the healer and I which hate is the Final Fantasy which is the so much. I hate it so much. Never play Final Fantasy 15. And never go in Dragon's Den. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing at how how separate Kim and I's uh, enjoyment of video games are. <laughs> it makes for a good founder team because. We have different points of view. <laughs> Mine is right. Sorry, Chess, you're going to say something? Technically, I'm always right. <laughs> uh, well, that's one thing that I actually really enjoy about video games is there's so many different titles and everyone grew up with different experiences, but you still somehow get some very similar passion about games. And there was someone uh, that I was talking to that was a podcaster that had kind of some similar interests to me, and he had a list of his top 10 favorite games. And I hadn't played a single one of them. I was like, <laughs> wow, do I have nothing in common with this guy or everything? Sure. It's a good category to have in common with people. Like, you can have completely different interests in what kind of games you like, but you can still look at each other and say, I love video games, where we now have something in common. Mm-hmm. So what's on the horizon for Signal FM, and what can uh, listeners be on the lookout for? Signal FM, that's S-I-G-N-L dot F-M. We actually, we release pretty often. Um, We're, uh, like I was mentioning earlier, we're partnered up with Scott Hanselman. So we'll be doing a lot of work with him. um, And the uh, hope is to partner up with a number of different podcasts as we can support podcasts. We're quite a small team still. Mm -hmm. This is pretty much like one-fourth of the team. This is more than one-fourth of the team. Three-fourths of the team. <laughs> Kelly is the programmer. Yay. Uh, and so you can uh, head on over to our website. That's S-I-G-N-L.F-M, no A. And uh, if you sign up for our mailing list, you can see the cool stuff we're making. Go check out Rockets Run Robin. Uh, Robot <laughs> Run Robin. Robot Run Robin. Um, I do. I want to... I wanna, do another revision of that game and like amp up the game part of it a little bit more, but we'll do that at some point. Um, yeah, there's a basically partnering with more podcasts, making cooler stuff. Repeat. I would go into the technical side, but it would be really boring and people wouldn't be interested in learning how... machines yeah. and computers. I'll log in and some some parts. Neural learning. Programs. Changing and moving. Yeah, but uh, we are. There's a lot of uh, inva- advancement happening uh, in the back end. So hopefully, hopefully, as we release those, we can still frame them with the same entertainment value as we did with Robot Round not Robin. Hopefully, do not say Kelly. Do. Okay, so we're going to be releasing these things go. with the same frame of entertainment um, because podcasting is entertainment so what would be the point of making all of these really cool technological advancements if we didn't present it in a way that people actually wanted to engage with well that's great and um in the show notes i will link to signal.fm including they have prototypes for 
what their player might look like, where I guess you guys can describe it more if you want, but you could call it karaoke for podcasts where you can <laughs> you can see the transcription going and start and stop wherever you want, jump to wherever and share specific parts of the transcript. It's It's really great. And I really look forward to being able to do that with more podcasts in the future. And your own podcast. I'm signing you up right now. You have no choice. Oh, yeah. oh no. <laughs> and by the, time, by the time you're listening to this, this podcast will probably already be in our system. Yeah. So we can link you to that too. Oh, that'd be great. I think, yeah, I'd really like to, uh, to see how that turns out. All right. So that's, that's all I had for you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Signal FM and your backgrounds. And uh, I had a really great time. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. It's been great. Yes, it's been great. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. We hit on several interesting topics. When I first started looking into talking with Kim, it was about one application of gamification, that uh, robot round robin survey. I actually had no idea that she and Kelly worked on several of my favorite games. But what struck me was how they talked about games impacting every area of their lives. They found inspiration and motivation from games to work in the difficult and trying world of tech startups. Another reminder that if you're interested in what Kim and Kelly are working on, they are now under the banner of Greta, not Signal FM. So that's Greta, G-R-E-T-T-A. You will find the links in the show notes. There is your intelligence boost for the week. Next episode, I am talking with Jupiter Hadley, who has played and recorded more indie games than anyone else. We'll talk about the explosion of indie games and what happens when you ask people to make a game in 48 hours. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in seven. Sonic Universe.